airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. We will get our discussion started. Talk a little bit. I kind of almost feel like just looking at this, it's almost going to be a two-parter. Um, <laughs> just because I'm taking into consideration that we'll open the phone lines up in the last okay. segment. All right. Yeah, we'll see um, how that goes. You, you sound, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I deserve that. I deserve it. I'll no, take I'm just that. Um, no, but it's true. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. But I, I would like to get, you know, response to what we're talking about today. But I understand that sometimes we just kind of get going and and then, you know, I will you can't say this. shut me up, man, because you know, no you self control, you know, you just keep get going, going man. That's it. It's all right. We're working on it. You know, yeah. um, I will say this, you know, this this is a uh, one email, one email that I got mm-hmm. that we got. And I'm going to hold on to this one email. And any time I refer now, listen, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you'll know. Anytime you hear me say, because, you know, people write in and and they say, it's this one email. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just need you to know that because um, there's no other email that I'm pointing to. But as time goes on, I'm not going to take all the airtime to tell you all of this. I'm only telling you this part now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, in the future, when I say, you know, because, you know, we get the emails. <clears throat> it's, <laughs> it's this one. It's all right? one email. So one brother mm-hmm. wrote in and said, you know, and even called me Mika in the email, which is <laughs> major extra points, bro. Major. Okay. Uh, wrote in and said that he doesn't mind us talking so much and, and not getting as many calls in because he really <laughs> likes to get all the content he could possibly get. <laughs> From the presentation. I hear some other and people like, nah. They're like, nah, brother, sit down, bro. <laughs> we were working on her. She'd just gotten back to the calls. You've empowered her now. No. And and he has. I just want to say thanks, bro. Okay. Um, but Appreciate now here's it. what's funny, yeah, we really do. Mm-hmm. What what tickles me about that so much is that it really is just that one email and <laughs> all the years that I've done this. <laughs> But you know, one email, you know, that's, you can multiply that. You put down the that's, two that's, and carry the one. That's a few more people. That's exactly right. And, that, and, <laughs> and that's what I do. Um, I just take it and I go, well, you know, if you multiply this times the median um, households represented, <clears throat> that's, that's what we do. Um, we're trying to get to some calls. This oh, yeah. is just one of y'all that um, wants me to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be great. Let's talk about the Marriage Family Life Conference. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this increasingly as we get closer to June 24th to the 26th. Yes. But um, let's let our listeners know how they can register for this. They are already registering. And yes. we're very, very excited. Yes. June 24th to the 26th. The Marriage Family Life Conference. You can go to marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net. We have all information there uh, as far as the speakers, as far as hotels, as far as, you know, everything that you need to know to schedule. Uh, remember, we have a, this is a conference within a conference. So there 
is also a youth apologetics track, uh, and that's for ages 4 to 17. And so we have something for the whole family. Um, yeah. And if you have kids who are younger, just bring them and you can bring them along and put, you know, they can remain in a general session with you, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would love families to come. We set it up in such a way that, you know, we, we desire that whole families will come. It's not uh, ultra expensive. Man, I mean, when you look at it for a family like this is this is you won't get anything else like no. this. No. And so uh, we just really. I want you to come out as uh, June 24th through 26th, mm-hmm. marriagefamilylife.net. You can go there now and register. We are in our early bird uh, special time until April 1st. And so you want to get this rate right now to go to marriagefamilylife.net. Um, I was I was studying one morning and um, Mariah came in and they all have, we're on a different schedule right now. I won't bore you with all the details of that. So she came in. And she was going to be doing her Bible reading. She's going through this Bible reading plan. I want to say hers is the Pauline epistles, mm-hmm. I, pa- Pauline epistles, I think. And so um, anyway, she comes in and as she's walking by, um, she sees me studying and she comes over and she says, excuse me, you know. And, and so I turn around and um, she said, mom, she goes, can you teach me to study the Bible the way you study the Bible? Mm. Now, <clears throat> You know, parents have many moments where you're just like, <laughs> man, I love you. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you know what I mean? You know, when your kid just your kid just kind of shows up, you know, and, and you're like, ah, that's that's childing. <laughs> childing. S- side note. Let me tell you why I said that. OK. The kids asked me the other day. They said, OK, so parenting is it's something you do and it's who you are. Do kids have an equivalent to that? (laughs) I'm like, no, they don't, (laughs) but we could be generous and say it's childing when you're doing it well. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. It's kind of close to uh, childish and you know, but yeah, that's true. You know, but childing. In this moment she was childing. I mean, that's a good thing. Major, major. Like I was just like beaming. I was so, I was so happy. And, and I said, Absolutely. I said, it would be my joy to train you Mm -hmm. in how to study the scriptures. And she said, because I really want to like, I want to get into it. I want to like dig down into the scriptures and, you know, and she goes, and I want to, I want to read it the way that you do. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because one, it was one of those moments where just my life lived in front of her had an influence on her. Right. And it's, it's one of those moments where you're like, and this is why I do what I do. This is why I want to educate you at home. I want you to see um, the Christian life lived in front of you. I I want you to see how I live life, that it's not just what I do on Sundays, right? Mm -hmm. But how all of how we live life shows that we have been changed by the gospel. Amen. So anyways, I want you to put that in your back pocket because what I'm going to talk about today is very similar, if not exactly what I'm going to teach Mariah. Mm Mm-hmm on how to study the Bible, how to study the scriptures. Now, this is a portion of what I'm going to teach her, um, but I do this for our parents who listen, who email us. Now, this is not an exaggeration all the time (laughs) asking, what do you do? How are you training your kids? How are you equipping your kids? So this is one of those examples, one of those moments, right? And remember, the objective of this radio program is to, if I could say it succinctly, it would be to equip Christians to live authentically Christian lives. (laughs) Be true to you, Mm -hmm. which is the call of the culture, but they don't really mean it. But I want to encourage Christians (laughs) to really, truly live authentic lives. So here's what I want to do today. I want to ask the question, what color is the Bible? What color is the Bible? 
And all of this hopefully right now is folding into itself like a beautiful cake or something here. Um, I was reading this article and it said the, the title of the article said, read your Bible through a kaleidoscope. <laughs> I hope everybody's ready. It's Monday. I hope you had a good relaxing weekend. Okay. I hope you, cause here, here we go. So read your Bible through a kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about how important it is that I am going to train my daughter and how to read the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Because if I don't get to her first, then she might, I don't know, come across something like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Mm. And, and then it might forever shape the way she reads mm. the Bible improperly. Come on. Okay. Man. All right, guys. Okay. Anyway, so here it is. Read your Bible through a kaleidoscope. I'm going to start with this article and then I'm going to take a break. And then we're going to talk about just two terms here and a little bit of how do we study the Bible. And I'm trying to do this, you know, you know how I am with the clever titles, right? Um, So what color is the Bible? Please don't, don't try to answer that question. Anybody. Okay. When we open the phone lines, don't try to answer that question. All right. Um, Back to this article, this article, I won't tell you where it was because if I tell some people where it was, they're going to be like, ah, dead giveaway, (laughs) dead giveaway. So just trek with me here. I'm not going to tell you where I found it. Um, But the links will be in the show notes, so go to the podcast. Um, (laughs) Read your Bible through a kaleidoscope. Multicolored scholarship expands biblical interpretation beyond traditional Eurocentric perspectives. A lot. Um, (laughs) Here we go with this. Let's just get into it. It's written by a man named Dennis R. Edwards, who writes over at this particular outlet. Okay, here's the question that he starts with. Are evangelical theology and practice of biblical interpretation captive to overly Eurocentric traditions? Increasing numbers of female and non-white biblical interpreters continue to reject what they see as patriarchal and sexist understandings of scripture that reinforce historically white cultural assumptions. Um, that's, that's like a Robin D'Angelo statement, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a cleaned up sanitized kind of like Christianized <laughs> Robin D'Angelo observation. If you're not familiar with Robin D'Angelo, you probably are familiar with her work, White, Fragi- white Fragility, mm-hmm. and, and her coining and expanding this term whiteness and other people, you know, that are in her same group. Okay, so basically what this man, um, Dennis Edwards, is suggesting is that the way we view scripture is, um, is determined by who we are as we come to the scriptures, but in America in particular, we have suppressed that. We have not brought all of who we are to the scriptures because we have been told how to study the Bible by white people. Hmm. <laughs> so finally, now watch this now. So finally, women and other colors, like non-white, non-white. people, are yeah. breaking out of this mold. Not right. white people, though. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, man. Guys, please understand that my laughing is not to make light of this at all. It is sometimes automatic, you know, and and sometimes it's a little bit because I've been thinking about this so much and I I can't. um, All right. Here we go. So 
he puts in quotes here, objective biblical interpretation. So his use of quotes around the word objective, I equate with Mm so-called, okay, you say, or as they say. So this is quote unquote, objective biblical interpretation. In other words, even what he is suggesting in writing this is that our understanding of the word objective is not, it's not. Okay, we've been told what is objective biblical interpretation, but it is not. Back to the article. In my essay on hermeneutics and exegesis, I point to the development of approaches to scripture that complement and sometimes contradict historical critical methods that gained prominence through the European scholars of the 19th and early 20th centuries. Now pause for a second here. (laughs) Okay. So the historical critical methods, I want you to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. The historical critical methods. So the old methods that sought to understand the Bible deeply, right? Um, And I don't want to get too far ahead of my discussion, but I'll just say one simple line to ask questions of the scriptures, to go to the scriptures and, and seek to understand what it means. Basically what he is saying is that, the reason we have these methods is because it, it um, grew or came to prominence through European theologians. You, okay, look, man, white <laughs> teachers. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be a scholar here, but I'm just meeky. Okay, so basically he's saying white teachers have told you how to study the Bible. Y'all, we, I feel like Will here. <laughs> you know, because we could be here all day trying to say it the way he's saying it. Basically, what he's saying is white people have controlled the way we read the Bible. So even the way we read the Bible has been, and he's going to say this in the article, mm-hmm. colonized. And you see that time period, though. When, yes. I mean, that, that's a specific time period where he will point to, I mean, 19th and early, early 20th century. Early 20th century. Yes. That's 19th and early 20th century. 1800s. 19th and 1900s. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know what no, back then? Yes, yes. <laughs> so he said that's where the biblical, you know, interpretations and so things. So in other have words, y'all from. learn how to read the Bible as slaves, and you still read the Bible as slaves. <laughs> I mean, I don't know too much. That's what I mean. That's <laughs> that, that's I, what he said. I, I think, I think, but maybe we're just simpletons, and you know, we our study of the scriptures has been colonized, so we don't even know. If that's really what he's trying to say. All right. I got to move faster. We'll come back. We'll look a little bit at this article and then, um, you know, rip it a little bit. Aaron, the Addison's <laughs> on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. to me how much the church how much people who bear the name of Christ continue grabbing from the world and then trying to bring it into the church and mm-hmm. then you know clean it up kind of christianize it and then for people who <clears throat> excuse me are not battling this out in the culture or being indoctrinated by it it's like when it gets in the church it sounds so novel mm. and it sounds fresh and it sounds um enlightened 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Chain Breaker by Zach Williams. All right, so this article that we're discussing today as we ask the question, what color is the Bible, is read your Bible through a kaleidoscope, written by a man named uh, Dennis R. Edwards, and he's criticizing the way we read the Bible, and he's saying even the way we come to Scripture basically um, has been determined by white people. Right. Now, I could flower that up for you with a lot of terms that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sounds scholarly, mm-hmm. but essentially that is what he is saying. Right. Okay. That we, all of us come to the scriptures based on white influence. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick up with him here and then we'll, we'll turn our attention just for a second and maybe go back. All right. So he says objective in quotes, biblical interpretation. Um, he says the historical critical approach, and we we're talking about this before the break, mm-hmm. the historical mm-hmm. critical approach emphasizes the study of language, cultural setting, and literary form. (laughs) Scholars trained with such an approach sometimes conclude that there is only one way to understand a passage and that their understanding is what the original author intended. Yet, the pursuit of a pure, objective, unbiased understanding of biblical authors can itself be a reflection of the interpreter's own presuppositions. Again, a lot of words, a lot of words. But here is what he is saying. He is saying that us coming to the scriptures Mm -hmm. and asking questions about when did this take place? So cultural setting. Mm -hmm. What is the original Greek or Hebrew? (laughs) So language. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And uh, what, type of book is it that we're reading mm-hmm. is it a historical book is right. it a book of poetry is right. it a letter it is a is it a gospel um he's saying that that's not really objective okay basically that's what he's saying and and he's saying when we come to the bible this way we think that what we arrive at is the way to read the scriptures but what we don't take into account is that you have brought yourself to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So even though you're applying what you say is an objective approach, it's your objectivity that you're bringing. Mm. That's what he's saying. Okay. But please don't be alarmed because the Bible anticipates yourself coming to the scriptures. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, go sit out, man. You're not smart. Like, you know, I just, all of these words, guys, we, yeah. we can be simpletons together because the word of God makes us wiser than our teachers. Amen. Come all right. On. So we don't have to like get all intimidated when they start speaking with all these lofty words and, and they're telling you that even your objectivity is in yourself and all of these things. But the scriptures anticipate this and there's a remedy for it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be all selfie, you know, when you come <laughs> to the scriptures and stay that way. Unless unless you apply the method that I think this man is actually should, suggesting, which. Anyway, um, so so back to his article here. All right. He writes, he writes, Greg Carey observes that white male scholars have enjoyed the privilege. And there it is. There it is. The privilege of their questions, Mm -hmm. assumptions and perspectives on a biblical passage being received as the right and perhaps only viewpoints. So he's talking about even your theological or biblical privilege. Guys, this is so wicked. Right. You, you come to the Bible with your privilege is what he's saying. All right. He says 
the privilege that accompanies whiteness. There it is. There's Robin <laughs> D'Angelo smiling. <laughs> right. Okay. She's right. like, very good. Okay. <laughs> the privilege that accompanies whiteness relates intimately with the traditional norm of biblical scholarship. So if you have a traditional approach to scripture and we're going to, I'm going to show you, I'm, we're going to do a comparison here. And when we talk about what that traditional approach is, but if you have a traditional approach to the Bible, all right, that traditional approach is shaped by whiteness because you have to remember whiteness is the hegemonic view. OK, that that is what controls all of what we do. Whiteness, look out, is a sea of whiteness and, and whiteness is encroaching upon you, colonizing you, even the way you read the Bible. Whiteness. Mm-hmm. OK, and that's that's be afraid, be very afraid. OK, and that's the approach that this man is taking as he writes this. Now. What I want to do, and, and this is this is what I would do with our daughter who asked to be taught how to study the Bible, not how to read the Bible, but how do you study the Bible? All right. So this is what I would do. I would say, you know, Mariah, there are two major approaches to the way people look at the scriptures. They look at the word of God and I'm going to present both of these to you. And then we're going to have a conversation around which one is the one that you think glorifies God based on what you've read based on what you've read. So you want to learn how to study the Bible. Notice that I'm emphasizing there's a difference. So you want to learn how to study the Bible. So based on what you've read, I'm going to present to you these two methods of reading the Bible and studying the Bible as well. And then you tell me which one you think glorifies God. Which one do you think God intended? So two methods here, and I'll break these down. Just stay with me. Exegesis versus eisegesis. Exegesis versus eisegesis. Exegesis. E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. And at this point, my 14-year-old will be looking at me and she might not be, and I'd say, write it down. I spelled it for you so you could write it down. Write it down, right? Versus eisegesis. E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. What's the difference? Let's talk about that. Because basically what this scholar is doing is accusing Christians in an American context, Mm -hmm. I would say, accusing Christians of thinking that they're engaging in exegesis, but even their exegesis is eisegesis. So his solution actually is eisegesis just (laughs) off top. (laughs) That's that's basically what he suggests. Okay, so here we go. Exegesis. Exegesis, the explanation of scripture by analyzing or interpreting it objectively, Mm -hmm. objectively. In other words, exegesis lets the scripture say what it's saying. Mm -hmm. So how do we exegete scripture? Well, we cross-reference with additional texts, looking for confirmation and clarity for what that particular passage is saying. Okay? So because there is one author of the Bible, we must, not can, not may, we must expect the Bible to be consistent and to have continuity because there's one author, mm. right? So you come across a passage as you're reading and here's, and, 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 and here's what I'm presupposing in this moment that as you're reading the passage, you are gaining the context. 
So you already have the context of that particular passage. My kids will tell you one of my favorite terms is cross-reference. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and when you're reading something and it cross-references something else and you can point that out. And, and man, kids just light up for that. J.D. loves it. As, JD as loves well. it too. I know we. <laughs> I love. I love. He's like, oh wait, this cross references. I'm like, yes. <laughs> See that it's been authored by the Spirit of God. Yes. Come on, man. You. All right. So, um, exegesis. Let me stay on track. Exegesis. Okay. So you're using the text to interpret the text, and the text is telling you. What it says. That sounds so simple, Mm -hmm. but it's very important. Exegesis literally means to lead out of, to lead out of. So the text leads and we follow. The text leads and we follow. Okay. When you take the exegetical approach to scripture, you're exegeting the scriptures. The scriptures change us. I'm going to say that again. When you exegete the scriptures, the scriptures change you Mm -hmm. because you are being led Mm -hmm. by what is read. Yes. I kind of like that. Didn't plan it. But okay. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm a rapper. (laughs) So, so this is very, very important, (laughs) right? Now, how does this compare to eisegesis? Mm-hmm. E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. I'm, I'm spelling these things because I want you to go and look them up. I, I want you to take this conversation to your friends, to your family, to your sisters, to your brothers, to the people that you are in relationship with and close proximity to and give them a robust apologetic for rejecting foolishness. Somebody says, well, you know, the way you read the Bible is informed by whiteness. You say, no, <laughs> actually, <laughs> And then, you know, then talk to them about this. Okay. So here we go. How does exegesis compare to eisegesis? So this eisegesis is a subjective way to read the scriptures. It, in contrast to exegesis, eisegesis means to lead into. Mm -hmm. So then that means that the reader is putting into the scripture his or her own thoughts and ideas and experiences. All right. So you as the reader, when eisegeting, all right, you are bringing to the scriptures what you want the scriptures to say. With this approach, we change the scriptures. Mm. When you exegete, the scriptures change you. Mm -hmm. When you eisegete, you change the scriptures. So the methods of reading the scriptures, primarily prayer. You approach the word of God first by praying. When I was being discipled and trained in how to study the word of God, I was taught this, um, this acronym PROAPT, PROAPT. And even as I was preparing for this, it was in like the deep recesses of my mind and it came back to my mind, right? So this method that when you approach the scriptures, Try to include all of this in your study of the word. Proapt. P, pray. R, read. O, observe or ask questions. Observe or ask questions about what you're reading. Then A, apply. Then P, pray again. And then T, tell 
or teach. So show someone, tell someone what you're reading in the scriptures, have conversations about what you're reading in the word, right? Now, listen, the conversation that we're having today begs two questions, two, two questions. Do the scriptures lead us or do we lead the scriptures? And I think that what this man is writing in this article is um, scholarly sounding. Mm -hmm. But really, it's foolishness to anyone who truly understands that the word of God is the word of God, that it is breathed out by God, that it is consistent, that it is constant, that it does not change, that it survives cultures. It survives time. So we don't get to 21st century America and then all of a sudden say, well, you know what we're holding. I mean, you know, but and, it, and, and what he's saying is, is really crazy when you think about it. He's saying that the evangelical world or whatever has been isolating the scripture. You know, that's like what you he's said, saying, that's what he's saying. Therefore, and, and calling it exegesis, though. Right. And calling it okay. exegesis. Yeah. But like you said before, his answer is to isolate in a different way. <laughs> That's, like oh, it's that's never to point. it's never to exegete no. like properly. Right. It's you know Bring he just want to exchange eisegesis. Like right. <laughs> it's Can crazy. you? I'm trying to like look. Let's 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 um let's sort of like uh, act this out. Let's just do you know and and so because the question so to his point after reading his article, if I were to apply because I'm a good student, if I were to apply his article to my teaching Mariah how to study the Bible, Mm. this is what I would say. Mm. I would say, sit down, and I would say, first thing you need to recognize, you are a black woman Mm -hmm. in America. Now open your Bible. (laughs) Man, come on. Guys, come on. I mean, (laughs) come on. Like, what? What does that have Uh. to do with gumbo in New Orleans? (laughs) What? It doesn't have anything to do with. Like, it doesn't matter. But what he is saying... What he is saying is you have been thinking that you're exegeting the scriptures. Really, you've been exegeting the scriptures because you've been bringing whiteness to the scriptures. We want you to reject whiteness and now bring your color and your gender to the scriptures. So it's exactly the point that you're making. Eisegesis. It's still eisegesis. Right. It's still eisegesis. So, so how does eisegesis usually happen? How does that usually because I would imagine that the question would be, well, if you exegete the scriptures, if that is the integrity of studying the word and asking question questions about time and context and place and setting and all of these things and words and languages, if that's the way, if that is an objective approach to the scriptures. Right. Then the question is, how does eisegesis even happen? Well, eisegesis happens when a person comes to the scriptures already with an idea or a notion or a topic, and they just need biblical support for it. Mm. Come on, guys. (laughs) Right? It's very dangerous, but a lot of people do it all the time. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about. And then they say, now let me find some scriptures to help me with that. Mm. And so then you just rip passages from their context. You just rip them. You just pull them out, you know, and and then you just paste them on your desk and put them all together. And then there you go. Here's my topic. And here are my supporting scriptures. So then how do you avoid that? Or better, the question is not. So the question is, how does eisegesis happen? And then the other question is, why does exegesis happen? Why? Exegesis happens because you are reading the scriptures in context. You are reading the scriptures and you are allowing the word of God to teach you and to train you 
not just going so that your ideas and notions can be supported. There is a huge difference with eternal implications. We'll grab the break. Erin the Addison's American Family Radio. Stay right there. He put that hunger in your heart. He put that fire in your soul. His love is the reason to keep on believing. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving in, his love is the reason to keep on believing. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's. On American Family Radio, <laughs> we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's uh, Unspoken with Reason. Sherry V's over in Studio CC. We will get some phone uh, calls queued up in just a little bit here. But um, before I share just a little bit more from this article, Will agree. I'm just, it was such a great point you made about him encouraging eisegesis, just a different form. Yeah. Like yeah. basically, he's saying filter the Bible, but just use a different filter. And it's, and another thing that's just so crazy to me is all this emphasis on, you know, these cultural things or even just like whiteness and skin color yeah. and all this kind of stuff. When we read through the Bible, if you read, you know, um, the characters and the people who are in it, it's full of <laughs> color, you know, on its own. Like yes. it's naturally like when yes. you read the word of That's God, amazing. you know, we talked about uh, with the heart cry, the, ter- the church of, at Antioch. I oh, mean, yeah. you had everybody yeah. there. like it, it didn't exclude, you know, any group of people. And so yeah. to bring up, and to harp on all of these things that are so like basic and surface, you know, it's just amazing to me that they try, if try to find anything to latch on to today's narrative, you know. It's so just, now it, you're reading the Bible through the eyes of whiteness. It's, it's like, it's come on, a grasping at straws. I feel yeah. like I feel like they're all almost saying that um, you know the Bible only survived because of you know people stealing it and and putting their whiteness in it. But now it's time to. To reclaim, you know, it's it's yeah. like, and and it's amazing how the the disaster that mm-hmm. has been reading and interpreting the scriptures only in the 18th and 19th century, and, the 19th and 20th century, yeah, only and, then, just right then. And I'll say this: where people did eisegete the scripture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to serve their own desires, hmm. hey, that was wrong. Yes, when you absolutely. had, you know, maybe in the 19th and early 20th century, the use of the Bible to like, you know, uh, 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 prop up their desires and different things that was going on. That's that, exactly we need to say right. that that was wrong. That's exactly right. You know, that's but, exactly right. Yeah. But what these guys are trying to do, you know, take from that period of time and say, OK, this is what everything was built on mm-hmm. as far as how you in America read the Bible. So you guys need to, you know. How, how how does he get that? Like, how does, he know, how does he know that that's accurate? So basically what he's saying is that this idea that you can technically or objectively come to the scriptures, he says, is a faulty one, basically. Okay. And he quotes this man. I'm going to go back to the quote mm-hmm. um, that he includes. He quotes this man, Greg Carey. And I'll read again just to give you the context of what he's quoting um, of this man. And I think that what kind of answer your question out loud here about like, how is how how is he arriving here? So he quotes a man named Greg Carey, who in this article, he says, observes that white male scholars have enjoyed the privilege of their questions. I read this this uh, quote already Mm -hmm. assumptions and perspectives on a biblical passage being received as the right and perhaps the only viewpoints. The privilege that accompanies whiteness relates intimately 
with the traditional norm of biblical scholarship. And then he goes on. Carrie writes, exegesis. This is what he says. Carrie says, Carrie writes, exegesis, the classic notion of exegesis assumes a fixed, rational, and universal process of interpretation. I'm so tempted to just stop there. I'm keep going. <laughs> it also promotes a certain kind of detachment as if the interpreter was a dis or were, were a disembodied mind free from the constraints of context and daily life. All right. I I'm not done. Let me just, I'm sorry. Let me just for a second, <laughs> just for a second. I want to go back to the line. The classic notion of exegesis assumes a fixed rational and universal process of interpretation. It would have to be for the Bible, for the survival of the scriptures. This has to be true. Can you imagine the amount of revision that the scriptures would go through over time? If this weren't true, there has to be the thing or things that God is communicating through his word so that it can make its way through time and culture and stay there. (laughs) That, that, that is such an educated, unintelligent thing to say. Yeah. Like that, that people come to the scriptures thinking that there's some fixed, rational and universal process of interpretation. How, how not, how, (laughs) how, how not, how can the Bible mean anything of significance to our Chinese brothers and sisters? To our Iranian brothers and sisters, how can the Bible mean anything to them if there's not this fixed and rational and universal process of interpretation? But see, that that only ministers to people in an American context where you have the luxury of time to sit around and think about how whiteness has influenced the way you come to the scriptures. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because like, you know, when you're hiding, you understand what I'm saying? Right. When you're quickly memorizing scripture to pass it on to someone else because you don't have a Bible, you know, you don't really have a whole lot of time. To be thinking about how whiteness has, you know, played a role in the way that you're hiding scriptures in your mouth. Come on. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Lord, forgive us. In America, we have too much time. Too much takeout. You understand what I'm saying? Where you can sit over boxes of styrofoam and just, you know what I think it is? I think it's whiteness. (laughs) Past the low main. You know what I mean? Come on, man. You're right. This is what I'm talking about. You're surrounded right. by books and knowing nothing. How in the world can that not be true? Because the Bible has to work in China. It's got to work in Italy. Mm. It's got to work in Iraq and Iran. It's got to work in North Korea. Come on. But we'll let these people manipulate us and tell us all kinds of things and then send us cowering back. And, and, and we're like, well, oh, I don't know. I can't say. I don't know. <sighs> of course, you know. And of course, you must say. Let me read this last passage. Uh, phone lines, 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. You can talk to us. Let me read this last little point here from this article. He says, everyone brings their biases to the Bible. That is true. But you see, exegesis filters your biases. Mm, come on. It deals with that. <laughs> come on, right. man. The, the Bible anticipates that. It says, While we might strive to discern how the first listeners of scripture understood what they heard, we do well to remember that our reading is influenced by who we are along with where we're from and how we experience life. That is true. That's why we have exegesis. 
come on, come on. That's why we come on. <laughs> have this it tool. keeps all of those things that right. he just listed. In check. In check. It provides the rail so that you don't allow all of who you are to ooze out and then, you know, smudge the scriptures. I'm just being me. No, there's a package for that to keep all of that stuff neatly in its place. You understand? Yes, we can objectively, we must objectively approach the scriptures asking the question, Lord, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. What are you saying? Lord, perish the thought that any of us would come to the scriptures and say, well, you know, this is how I feel. And so the scriptures, you know, must confirm how I feel. The scriptures must validate what I'm thinking. No, no, the scriptures must not. The scriptures must check what you're thinking Come on. and reshape it. It's called hmm. the renewing of your mind. Come on. That's what it's called. I mean, if you want, if you need a, you know, you need a biblical reference. It's like Paul told the Romans, you don't. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be mm. transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if your mind is war torn by the culture that you grew up in, come to the scriptures. Come, on. come bring, bring your war torn mind, bring your ghetto fabulous mind, <laughs> bring your hood life mind, bring your backwoods mind, bring your other side of the tracks mind, bring your fatherless mind, bring your motherless mind, bring your abused mind. And the scriptures will transform that mind. Not that mind. Transform the scriptures. Guys, we are equipped to stand against this kind of foolishness in our culture. But we don't know it because we're not reading the word. Mm. We must read the word. We must allow the scriptures to search us. All right, let's go to the phone lines, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Will the All great right, one we go? Let's go to Andy in Pennsylvania. Hi, Andy. Hi, Will. Hi, Miki. Hello. Hello. Hey, so I was thinking we're seeing more of a nurse Jesus, where we're more narcissistic about what we're <laughs> seeing, not only in worship music, but in people today. And it's more self-centered, and that's about Jesus. Mm. Narcissus. Wow. I, <laughs> Andy, I give you credit today only. All right? That's it. Today that you came up with that, and that is beautiful. Only today. Narcissus. Wow. That's, uh, that's beautiful, and, and that's brilliant. And, and, and let me just say, it is so spot on yeah. for where we are in our culture today that it is all about us. Mm. It is a, even down to now... Uh, Scholars of other colors and women are finding their space and finding their place to come to the scriptures and bring their various interpretations. <laughs> and, and some people would hear that and think, you know, this is good. Yeah. How? Right. Why? <laughs> because of the All right. present age we're living in. Because narcissists. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, the great. Where do we go next? All right. Let's go to Rhonda in Texas. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. Hello. I was, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I was, um, I was catching y'all in between. It's first time call. I love y'all and very, very blessed with what y'all do. Um, Thank you. But um, 
but uh, I was trying to remember how to, and I'm not for sure what the last person said. He might have kind of caught on what I was thinking. I was trying to remember how to remember to say that. So I came up with exegesis because you execute this word. You do what you're supposed to do by executing what you're supposed to do. But uh, uh, I Jesus is because that, that's the way he's wanting to do it. He wants to. I should cheat Jesus on this, and I should cheat Jesus on his word, and I should cheat anything I want to. So that's the way it is. It's all I, and I'm cheating. Well, yes. I should, I should, I should cheat. Uh, I think he's a, uh, oh, I forgot how I was going to do that. But anyway, he's a role. <laughs> <laughs> Rhonda, that's good. Thank you, That's Rhonda. good. Exegesis versus Isogesis. That's really good. Thank you so much for your call. Really great. Where do we go next? All right, let's go to Bill in West Virginia. Hi, Bill. Hi, how you doing? Good. Hello. Uh, I just want to say that that man who wrote that article, I would ask him this one question. What does the Bible say about race in the Bible? There is no such. It's, it's the human race. Come on. Black, Come white, on, yellow, Bill. green, doesn't matter, okay? Now, this is, this is what I would also tell him. If you're going to read the Bible and study the Bible and know the Bible, you have to know this. Know that the whole Bible is written for you. But the whole Bible is not written to you. And uh, an ex- example, that would be law and grace. We are under grace. And if we read the Bible and we're in section, the Old Testament with law, it's not going to make sense to you. Hmm. So, you know, the, the people that do those things, mm-hmm. you have to know exactly where you are in the Bible and what you are reading. And That's who right. it is written to. For instance, Jesus Christ, when he walks this earth, and it's, and it's in the Bible in uh, Matthew 15. Jesus Christ in red letters tells you he did not come but for the lost sheep of Israel. Only two Gentiles that he dealt with while he was on this earth was the Canaanite woman and the centurion soldier, the only two. And that, and that was to help her with her daughter and him with his servant. And But, but people... I know, but this guy's got me nuts here almost when he wrote that article. He does not understand the Bible, and I don't think you know, I would question the Christianity of the person. But you have to know those things. If you don't know, and, and the Bible is a good book to read. Just know where you are, where you're reading, and who it's written to. Yeah. So, Bill, I just want to I, I want to make sure that I understand. And you're probably like, well, Miki, that was not the point of my call. And I understand. But I just wanted to get. So what was the point? that you were making about Jesus and his interaction with Gentiles. Like, I, I want to make sure that I understand. Oh, Are you okay. talking? Go ahead. Uh, that was just an example. I mean, on Jesus being that he only, he had only ministered to the Jews. He did not minister to the, all the, to the Gentiles. And that, and that, the reason for that was he gave that same instruction to the 12 apostles. And if people don't understand the Bible, they won't understand fully what the apostles knew and what they didn't know. There was more they didn't know than what they did know. And he told the apostles, if you remember in Matthew 10, do not go in the way of the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of Israel, just as mm-hmm. he had told that Canaanite woman, I am here to administer the lost sheep of Israel mm-hmm. to the Jews. Now, when, and he knew, and, when he, and remember now, Christ knew all what was going to be happening. The apostle Paul was made the apostle to the Gentiles for us so that we would be happy brought in by grace. 
Okay, I see what you're saying. So you are talking about contextually and reading the Bible in mm-hmm. its context and as a whole to get a picture because if you just read something, you don't have the context and there are things that are confusing. And so then you don't have the context of, of the Apostle Peter in Acts with Cornelius. Right. And, and so, okay, I understand what you're saying. I just wanted to make sure because I know everybody's listening with two ears, but sometimes we're like, wait a minute, what exactly is being said? And so, no, you're right. Um, I apologize. We're not going to have enough time to get to some more calls. Thank you so much for that, Bill. I appreciate it. Context is key. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.